The flower arrangements are here this morning um, by way of a wedding ceremony last evening. Um, we have a new family, I think we can say, a new family has been formed in our church family. And uh, Austin and Vanessa will return to us soon. Uh, I often have speculated about, well, I don't necessarily say that. My first wedding ceremony that I conducted in Texas at uh, Den in Denham at the University of Denton. Yeah, I didn't say it right. Denton, yeah, Denton, the University of North Texas State University, University of North Texas. Uh, the first, the, the couple that I had the uh, privilege to uh, marry there, uh, I was conducting a conference at the local, uh, uh, what do we call them, uh, phone extensions, uh, FXs, yes, FXs. Uh, and the next morning for the second service, they came to church. So I was able to introduce them as the couple that had remained wed the longest of anyone that I had actually performed the ceremony. <laughs> 24 hours. Yeah, they were the only ones. That's correct. And, of course, Trent and Lauren are here as well, and uh, there were others, but it was uh, an enjoyable. it was an enjoyable first ceremony for me, and I just... How that came to my mind, I'm not certain, but uh, I'm sure that Vanessa and uh, uh, Austin are busy. So, this is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day of remembrance for those who died in military service of the United States of America. We'll talk a little bit more about this um, as we begin the service, but let's take just a few seconds for our spiritual preparation. Uh, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night. He, sh- he shall be like the tree that's planted by the river of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also never withers, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is also our opportunity to uh, reciprocate in love to our Lord, for the blessings that he has given us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, we are thankful for the many blessings that you have given us. We're thankful for the material ones and certainly the spiritual blessings. We're thankful that we have a risen Savior, your Son, our greatest gift. And It's through our Lord Jesus Christ by simply believing that we have salvation. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so, Father, we're thankful for that marvelous grace gift and the uh, non-meritorious decision that simply makes it to be ours. We pray now, Father, for your blessing upon the service, and we also, Father, pray for your blessing upon our nation on this Memorial Day weekend as we are poised to celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow. 
that we will understand the importance of the day to our nation and treat it respectfully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we turn in our Bibles to Psalm 57, and also hopefully we'll have the opportunity and the time to see Psalm 142, we have our Memorial Day. Oh, it's over here. I was going to say I couldn't find my Memorial Day. Bulletin. You should all have at least in front of you a Memorial Day bulletin that was actually designed uh, by Scott Craig. So I want to thank Scott for it. And also uh, helping him with the printing uh, was Kathy Haley. And Kathy Haley made the poppies that you have. Uh, And I know that, as it's been mentioned, that poppies are not always the easiest items to wear. But I remember them as I was growing up. Um, Mother would drive from the... uh, We would maybe drive somewhere on the day before Memorial Day or just prior to Memorial Day. And there were always uh, veterans, veterans organizations that were selling poppies. And Mother would always buy one or two. And I remember as a child, of course, not understanding what in the world this was. And she would try to explain it to me. And I think, to a certain extent, I maybe had some understanding. But she always made it a point that she went over and talked to those who had served. And, of course, many of them in the small town of Morning Sun or Mediapolis, which was also close, she probably knew but they'd served. And I remember her saying that they always have an interesting story. I always enjoy listening to where they served or what they're doing or how they're, how they're doing. Mother was a nurse. She was a Navy nurse in, during World War II, and that's how she met my father, who was in the Navy as well. And so when I see these poppies, that memory returns. And so every year... I'm going to the commissary, or which is where I normally encounter someone who's selling poppies, but they're also outside grocery stores and other locations. I enjoy talking to them and purchasing maybe another one or two, and so I have three or four around the house. And I think they're, they're important. They're, they're simply a token that helps us to remember. And I'll talk maybe a little bit more about that later. Um, in our bulletin, uh, I have a special version here, an enlarged version, for those of us who have dimming eyes, maybe. But um, Decoration Day, they gave their all. And it's important for us to distinguish, I think. It's not critical. No one is going to be upset. As a matter of fact, uh, happens all the time that we make a mistake on these days. Uh, What are we doing on Memorial Day? What are we doing on Veterans Day? And what should we be doing on Armed Forces Day? And I actually misspoke on Armed Forces Day last week. 
We have those three days, and they all have a different emphasis. Armed Forces Day and Armed Forces Week recognizes, recognize those who are serving, those who are in the military serving at that time. And I think I had everyone in the congregation stand. So some of you got exercise, even though it really was not your week and your day. Veterans Day is a day that we recognize all who have served. And on Memorial Day, we recognize those who have given their life in service to their country. And so there is a difference. And, um, you know, I guess for those who um, try to be precise and get it right, we notice it. Others, you know, it's not, not so much so. But there is a difference, and I thought I would at least mention that. And so on Memorial Day, which used to be called Decoration Day, we are remembering those who have given their lives. And that's why so many of the ceremonies uh, revolve around cemeteries. We used to have uh, a Memorial Day parade in Washington, D.C., and then for a while it stopped, and then it came back. And I think that it is still, it's still ongoing, meaning it's, an, it's still a tradition on Memorial Day to have the Memorial Day parade. But we always had a Memorial Day celebration at our cemetery in Morning Sun. Now, Morning Sun, you have to understand, many of you may not have heard of Morning Sun where you live, but Morning Sun was probably maybe a thousand, maybe a thousand inhabitants. But Memorial Day was really important to those inhabitants. And I remember the small cemetery there in Morning Sun being very crowded with people. And one of the reasons I remember it being very crowded with people is because there was a tradition. And the tradition was that whoever went to American Legion Boys State would give the Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And I didn't really know that until my older brother went to Boys State and he came back and was immediately memorizing the Gettysburg Address. He had about you know, a year to do so. Didn't quite figure that out. But anyhow, he stood up and gave the uh, Gettysburg Address. And as I've often uh, told some of you, he was a, he's an introvert. So that was probably somewhat painful for him to do. But he did a really fine job. And then I was selected to go to American Legion Boy State. And the only thing I could remember... I've got to, I've got to give that Gettysburg address, and that hounded me for a year. And I can remember Mother working with me on the Gettysburg address so that I would be able to to stand in front of Morning Sun's population that was there. I'm sure wasn't I know wasn't over a couple hundred, but there were quite a few people there. And I prayed for rain. <laughs> And it rained. <laughs> Mother worked with me on that and worked with me on that. And I think she got to the point where she thought, he knows it, but he'll never be able to do it. And it rained, thank God. But anyhow, they gave all. And it centers around 
our cemeteries. And so it's important for us to remember to go to the grave sites where those who have, have died over here in Arlington National Cemetery, I believe that it's Section 60 where many of the most recent uh, deaths in the military, those who have given their lives, are buried. And it's really wonderful to walk through that section and just engage those in conversation. And the people who are standing there, who have loved ones who are buried, inevitably love to talk about their loved one, the one who is, who's died and buried. And it takes a little bit more courage on our part sometimes to strike up a conversation. But it's a wonderful way to take a little bit of time on Memorial Day. And that's not to say that you can't have a barbecue. It's not to say you can't go to the ball game. It's not to say that you can't um, do whatever else it is you need to do, mow the yard, whatever it is. But you need to take some time, just some time, to appropriately remember those who have given their lives so that we might have the freedom that we have today in this nation. And whether we realize it or not, the United States of America has more freedom than almost any other nation has ever had. And we've had that since the inception of this nation. And the inception of the nation began on the battlefield. And it's been defended on the battlefield ever since. Sometimes we've had to go at a distance overseas to defend our freedom. And I think that we understand that, and that is important as well. Right now we have knocking at our southern door Islamic State encampments. And there are many who think that what's happening in Iraq I think it's a national tragedy because we had so many Americans go to Iraq and give life and limb for their freedom and then we simply turned our back on them. And they were not able to stand without us and the Islamic State is now slowly taking portions of Iraq. Many of you know Ramadi fell just not long ago and that really is the next big city approaching Baghdad. And a nation who contributed to the death and the loss of lives of hundreds of Americans, Iraq, is now possessing that country. And we are treating them like an ally. So today on Memorial Day, we have, I think, a lot to ponder. And we should still be very grateful for those who gave their lives. And I think that we're probably going to be back there. And I think that we're going to see some action from the Islamic State here inside our nation. Many of us don't know this, but the FBI has opened files in every state in the Union on terrorist cells. Our southern border is so porous, it's porous to everybody. And I don't know when, I don't know where, I'm not a prophet. 
I'm not even a son of a prophet. But I think we're going to see the results of our negligence. Now, the rest of our uh, our bulletin shows a Memorial Day parade. It also shows uh, a response on the right hand inside uh, facing cover in 1919 inspired by the poem in Flanders Field. Moyna Michael replied with her own poem. And this is, I've always loved the poem in Flanders Field. And uh, it was based, it was first of all, it was written by a Canadian surgeon. It was not written about uh, Americans. It was a World War po- World War I uh, composition written by a Canadian surgeon, a major. And he had been working in the surgical area uh, there in France and seeing hundreds and hundreds of wounded. And one of his countrymen that he knew, a lieutenant, had recently been killed. And during one of his breaks, he walked out to the location where his lieutenant friend was buried. And he took a pad of paper, says in the write-up that he was no stranger to writing and to poems. And he just very quickly wrote down the poem in Flanders Fields. And the poem, which was written by, uh, it says now Colonel John McRae. I thought he wrote it as a major, but whatever. He writes, in Flanders Fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row. That mark our place and in the sky, the likes, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amongst guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders Field. And it says that he wrote that, and as he wrote it, there was a young army sergeant standing right beside him with his mail, trying to give him his mail. And he described the colonel as he was writing, he was leaning against a, an automobile, writing the poem. And he'd look at the field, and then he'd write. And he'd look at the grave, and he'd, he'd write. He'd look over at the sergeant, and he'd come back and write. And when he was finished, he handed the pad of paper to the sergeant, and the sergeant handed him his mail. And he read the description of what the colonel had read, uh, had written, and he said it was an exact representation of the field, the description, and he said everything that they were feeling at that time. He said the author had just captured it 
the blowing poppies. And he said the, the field was just red with them as the wind was blowing them back and forth. And so from that time on, we had the response from uh, Moina. And let's see if I wrote that down. Yes. She wrote, We shall keep the faith. O you who sleep in Flanders fields, sleep sweet to rise anew. For us, of course, that's the rapture. Sleep sweet to rise anew. We caught the torch you threw, and holding high, we kept the faith with those who die. We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies, but lends a luster to the red of the flower that boom, blooms above the dead in Flanders fields. And now the torch and poppy red we wear in honor of our dead. Fear not that ye have died for naught. We've learned the lesson that ye taught in Flanders Field. Just a, to me, it's a great, speaks volumes for why we have Memorial Day. Let's turn to Psalm 57. We'll turn to Psalm 57. I was asked by a member of the congregation as we watch the sort of the evaporation of the, the soul of our nation, the liberty that we have, um, the ideals upon which this nation was founded, and slowly drift towards a more Marxist-Socialist system of ideals and government, of the government taking care of the individual instead of the individual taking care of self, and the government being in the background. But the government steals more of what we have, and I, I think that is a, that's correct. They take more and more, not only in the way of our earnings, but in our freedoms. Can someone in Washington make better decisions for you in your life? What makes them more qualified than you? Nothing. And it's your right to make your own decisions, not to have someone in Washington, D.C. make your decisions. But that's where we are today. It's just unbelievable the direction we're going. So what are we to do? How should we approach this? Because every day it's something something new. Every day something else falls that we used to cherish and believe was wonderful. So, is there some faith that we can hold, treasure. 
Well, in Psalm, Psalms, the Psalms are just great. They really cover everything. 150 Psalms. And one of the authors, of course, is David. And David went through some pretty trying situations in his life. He starts out, almost, in trying situations. He had older brothers who were jealous of him. Maybe not all that unusual, but they were. Criticism for simply stating, who is this uncircumcised Philistine and how is he allowed to stand out there and abuse us? I'll go home, you shepherd. But David maintained his courage. And later, when Saul became truly a psychopath and decided that David needed to die. And you know, you don't have to be a psychopath to get this wrong. But he probably was. But here is David, who has been anointed, ordained by God to be the next king. And Saul says, well, I don't want to lose my throne, so I'm going to kill him. Really? And how do you propose to kill the king's anointed? God is going to protect him. And so we read from David in Psalms and other locations of the adversity and the difficulty that he had in his life. But he always came back to the fact that the Lord was his strength and his refuge. And the future was secure for him. He he honestly didn't know the future except that he was going to be king. Now, there's a little bit of a difference here for us, but I think we can see in him the faith that we need to maintain. Psalm 57, we see in the, uh, the title that, that brings us into uh, the psalm, it says, to the chief musician, set to do not destroy. And this comes r- right out of 1 Samuel 24. But it's a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So he's running away, seeking refuge. Uh, and you'll notice that uh, there was a time in David's life where he simply had to move away from the danger. Um, Saul was still king. Saul is still the Lord's anointed. And so we have someone who's been legitimately elected, placed on, placed in the White House by an election that was, for the most part, I'm sure, legitimate. So, to a certain extent, if we don't have the courage of other elected officials who are supposed to be part of of a balance of government, if we don't have the courage in the other elected officials to resolve the problems that we have in the White House, then we are essentially following God's provision in this. But here is David. Be merciful to me, O God. The word merciful there could also be translated be gracious. Be gracious to me. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful or gracious to me, for my soul trusts in you. And the word here for trust means to take refuge, 
I'm taking refuge. My soul is taking refuge in you. And the reason for that important translation is we're going to see that word again, and it's translated refuge. And I, one of the problems I often see in translators is they, they'll see the same word and they think that it doesn't really make good copy. You need to sort of exercise your vocabulary and use a couple different words. Well, when God the Holy Spirit uses the same word, follow that word. Use that word. He's re-emphasizing it for a reason. So in the second part of this stanza, and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. That's a wonderful translation. It's a wonderful sense of what we have here. The shadow of your wings refers to a mother bird protecting little ones. And so we have this metaphor. Until these calamities have passed by. Till this destruction. And the word there can be translated destruction. And so it wasn't just a calamity. It wasn't just something that was difficult or an adversity. But death was very present for David. Verse 2, I will cry out to God most high. Now there is, this is a uh, title for God. The one who is truly most high. There is no other. He is the creator of the universe. To God, who performs all things for me. And the word here, performs, can also be translated accomplishes. But it has the sense in our context, context, not just of protecting, but also who will take care of this situation. And we could use the word, I think, avenges here as well. To God who avenges all things for me. Verse 3, he shall send from heaven and deliver me. He, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. The word confuses here is a much better translation. He confuses the one who would swallow me up. And so God can interject confusion, frustration amongst those who are performing evil. Selah, wonderful name. We think it's a, a musical uh, designation. We're honestly not real certain exactly how it should be translated. So what do we do? We transliterate it. That's fine. God shall send forth his mercy, chesed here, his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness. And when we see chesed or loving kindness here, we realize that God's locked in. He has locked himself in by his own integrity, his righteousness and justice. He cannot be anything but faithful to us. Now, sometimes his faithfulness to us may come in the form of discipline and justice. But God is there. God's mercy and his truth. God shall send forth his covenant faithfulness, his loving mercy. My soul is among lions. A metaphor here for uh, a ferocious action. Something that is very deadly. Ferocious lions can kill you in an instant. I, li I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. This is a very difficult bit of Hebrew. And probably a little bit better translation would be, 
I lie, and of course the lie here means that I'm with them, and we could probably use the word live. I'm living with them, I'm around them. Uh, those who want to devour me. And I think that's a better translation because, again, while there's some doubt as the Hebrew, it allows us to see the uh, consistency of the lions there, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and those were the weapons that they were using at the time, and their tongue a sharp sword. So Saul's coming after him with weapons and, of course, uh, maligning him all the time. Personal attacks. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So the Lord has glory and he is exalted. And so the Lord, what David is praying now and asking is, let me see that here in my circumstances. And we can pray that. They have prepared a net for my steps, a trap. My soul is bowed down. I'm not out there, you know, running around free. No, I'm hiding back here in this cave. I'm humbled. They have dug a pit before me. In the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. He's saying, God can turn these circumstances around. And those who are lying in wait for me can fall into their own pit, into their own trap. My heart is steadfast, firm, we'd say. We could even say calm. My heart is firm, it's steadfast, it's steady, it's calm. Oh God, my heart is steadfast, it's calm. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you amongst the nations. For your mercy, again, chesed here, your covenant faithfulness, reaches into the heavens and your truth into the clouds. So, it's pervasive. One of the things that David is also saying is, even all, even though all this is happening around me, I, I know that you are still in control. Your glory, your control, doesn't, your arm is not short, as we would say, Lord, to, to deliver us. But it extends to the clouds, to the heavens. God is not distance, distant from us. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So this is David. David hiding in the cave. Saul trying to kill him. And David says, help, be merciful to me. But then he also recognizes who God is and that God is in control. And God can take any situation, these ferocious beasts that would kill him, destroy him, and the Lord can turn that around. Let's turn to one Psalm 142. Psalm 142 And you'll notice, again, in the superscript here, we have a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. So we have a uh, we have a twosome here from David at that time. 
I cry out, <clears throat> excuse me, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. And we could say that I plead for mercy. I'm pleading for help. I'm praying. I pour out my complaint, my lament before him. I declare before him my trouble, my distress. David was in distress. And he pours that out to the Lord. And so that's one of the things that we do. We take our distress, our concerns to the Lord. Why not take them to the Lord? He is our God. He loves us. He cares for us. This is a nation that has been established on divine institutions. That doesn't mean we're not going to go through difficult times. It also doesn't mean that we might have a generation of people who truly have become complacent in their spiritual lives. And we have a small segment of society that are godless that seem to now be in control of what's happening. I declare before him my distress. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, and the word for overwhelmed here means feeble or faint. Something that is feeble or faint, it's easy to over, overwhelm. So it's the loss of strength. You know, we kind of get worn down every day, day after day after day after day. The steady drumbeat that's coming out of uh, the White House and out of uh, Washington, D.C. in general, it seems. Then you knew my path in the way in which I walked. In other words, he's saying here, you watched my footsteps. You're watching my footsteps. You know the path. You know each step that I'm taking. We may live in what we think is uncertainty and confusion, but God's watching. God is watching each one of our steps. You knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me, a trap. Look on my right hand and see for there is no one who acknowledges me. This is an interesting phrase because what we believe is being said here is in those days, a warrior would generally carry sword or spear in right hand. And in his left hand would be a shield. So he can defend himself from the left. But to the right, if he's fighting one person or more than one, you might say, well... He is well defended over here, but they never saw it that way. They would fight shield to shield, the shield really defending your right. And so you can defend, you're shielded over here with your sword, but you need someone on this side with another shield. And so they would fight shoulder to shoulder or shield to shield. And here David is saying, there's no one on my right. There, today we would say, no one has my back. Do you have my back? Who's got my back? I don't use that phrase a lot myself, but you hear that used quite a bit. I got your back. And here, David's saying, nobody cares over there. I'm out here by myself. Look on my right hand and see. No one has my back, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. And a better translation for refuge here is escape. Tried to escape. Haven't been able to do that. Tried to escape by hiding here. There's no place to hide. No one cares for my soul. I cry out to you, O Lord. 
I said, you are my refuge. You're my security. You're my hiding place. You're my escape. My portion in the land of the living. To Israel, the land was everything. And to have land or property was really your security. And I think that this is the portion. You know, my portion of the land. Where's David's land? He's running from pillar to post, my mother used to say. There's just no place for him. Deliver me from my persecutors, my pursuers, for they are stronger than I, outnumbered, hiding in a cave here. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. And again here, give thanks. Deliver me so that I might praise your name, Lord. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And the word here to deal bountifully, uh, it's also possibly that we could translate that, you will vindicate me. Why will God vindicate him? Because he is the God of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth. He will be vindicated by God, David, because he is righteous. And he will be vindicated by a righteous God. God rewards the righteous. So, having read that, what do we say? Well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, what do we read? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in his ministry, experienced a lot of distress, a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty. Says that he was stoned several times. He was whipped many times. He was shipwrecked. You know, that's an actual disaster. The Lord allowing those things to happen. But it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. This is the Apostle Paul saying, it can be kind of tough in this ministry. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What do we have here? Well, first of all, in the daily pursuit of our spiritual lives, we are told not. We are told that we do not become weary. We are not to become weary. In the daily pursuit of our spiritual lives, we do not become weary. We do not despair or become discouraged in spite of the frustration or disappointment. Is there frustration? Yes. Is there disappointment? Yes. Do I feel it all the time? Yes. It's there. But in the daily pursuit of our spiritual lives, we, do, we are told that we are not to become weary. Secondly, present tense, ongoing action, daily. It's not today and then forget about it for a week. No, this is a daily command. Daily. We do not lose, we do not lose heart. We are not discouraged. 
present tense, ongoing action. It has to be done every day. So this is something that we must resolve to do on a moment-by-moment basis. Resolve, resolve, resolve. Just keep going. Thirdly, Paul was facing genuine physical abuse in the ministry. See, Paul knows this topic. He's lived it. Paul was facing genuine physical abuse in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his body was truly being worn down or slowly wasting away. His body was under a lot of pressure. Fourth, the wasting away is a present tense. It's occurring daily. It's passive. And it's not something we do, although there's probably things we can do that cause our bodies to waste away a little faster, heading downhill a little quicker than normal. But this, we live in a fallen world. And our bodies are wasting away. So, the wasting away is a present passive, meaning we are receiving the action. We are not controlling the loss of vitality. In a fallen world, our mortality is sealed. It's there. We're on our way out. It's just a matter of how long. What does God have for us? Five, while our bodies are wasting away, to one degree or another. Our souls do not need to be subject to the same decay. Our souls don't need to waste away with our bodies. And Paul understood that the Corinthians would understand what he's saying here. Our souls do not need to be subject to the same decay. So, While our bodies are wasting away to one degree or another, our souls do not need to be subject to the same decay. Point six, the renewing of our inner person is also a present passive. And paying attention to the grammar, every now and then people say, oh, the grammar, just showing off that he knows. No, I'm not. This... I don't, you can't understand the passage unless you know the grammar. Unless you can see. Present? Aorist? Is it active? Is it passive? Is it an imperative? Is it a possibility? Is it a subjunctive? And it doesn't always come through in the translation. So the renewing is present passive. We daily receive the action of this verb. We receive it. So the renewing of our inner person is also a present passing, passive, meaning that we again, that again, we receive the action of that verb. And how does that happen? Point seven, we are refreshed by the day to day, day to day, day to day renovation, replenishment, and encouragement of the Word of God and God the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, you can't ignore the Word of God. And you can't ignore the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in your life, and have this be possible. 
we do make a choice to apply ourselves spiritually. And then it's the Word of God and God the Holy Spirit that renews us, renews us, renews us, that replenishes us, that renovates our thinking, and we find encouragement. So that's 2 Corinthians 4.16. There's a little bit more to this passage. Stay with me here. Did you need more time? 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction. Paul is being beaten to death at times. This is light affliction. Light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. How is it but for a moment? He's talking about our temporal life. Is working for us far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. And every now and then we'll hear somebody say, well, can you take it? You know, just how tough are you? Can you take it? It's only going to last for another minute or two. I remember, I had a dentist that used to say that. And that was back when it was that slow grinding drill. Oh, you can, oh, it's okay, you can take this. Yeah, right. One, in life we will encounter hardship and adversity. It is part of the fallen world. It you know, for those who never experienced any adversity, you might want to ask yourself, I wonder why. I wonder why God is not really maturing me in the faith. And sometimes our adversity is a little more difficult than others, and sometimes we'll look at somebody and we don't think they're going through any adversity, but they are. But they're just not whining and complaining about it. So in life, we encounter hardship and adversity. It's part of the fallen world. Secondly, but Paul says it's only for a short time compared to all eternity. Paul says it's only for a short time compared to all eternity. Whatever affliction, whatever adversity, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship, it's only for a short time. Our lives are truly just a flash as far as eternity is concerned. The difficulty on earth is achieving for us eternal consequences. So, as we endure the hardships and the adversity, we are earning, really, eternal consequences. The difficulty on earth is achieving for us eternal consequences. For the present tense means that we must renew our resolve daily. So it says, for our light affliction, which is but momentary, is working for us. So working for us on a day-to-day basis. Doesn't happen, okay, there it is, lock it up. There's another lock it up. No, you know, we're working on it every day. Far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. If we face adversity with steadfast faith, faith, the situation produces eternal results. And the word here for exceeding is is a great word. And it has the sense of just being above and beyond. So it's working for us far more exceedingly. So 
the rewards Paul is trying to describe, which are really indescribable, heaven and the, what the Lord has planned for us in eternity, is just exceedingly beyond what we can imagine today and any of the difficulties, problems, or adversities that we're facing. Six, the renewing is present tense. We daily receive the actions of that verb. So the renewing is present tense. Getting a little repetitious here. So the renewing is present tense. We daily receive the action of that verb. It's a daily thing. So that eight, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And the word here for while we do not look is different than the words for see, and so I'm glad they translated them differently. And the word look has is the Greek word skopeo, and it doesn't mean to just get a glancing look. It means to watch. It means to be fixated on. <laughs> kind of interesting. While we do not look, while we do not keep your eye on it, while we do not contemplate, observe, watch, fixate. In other words, we're not supposed to be occupied with the temporal things. At the things which are seen, which the things are tan- which are tangible, the temporal situation is passing and is, o- and is often like a vapor trail. For the things which are seen are temporary. And the word here for temporary, that's a fine translation, but it also means it's passing. Something that is here and gone. Something that's here and gone. It was here and it's gone. Did you see that? No. Well, you missed it. And that's the temporality of this. The temporal situation is passing and is often like a vapor trail. It was there. You just didn't see it in time. The important aspects of our lives are not of this earth but are what are not now observable in eternity. That's really where the significant part of our life is going to exist. We are here just for a short time, and we have been given a spiritual life and spiritual assets, and we're to employ those as we face difficulties, trials, adversities on a daily basis. Our future rewards far outweigh the temporal stimulation or fame that we might have today. And that's often what it is. It's, you know, we're stimulated by something that will happen. It doesn't necessarily bring us joy, but it's something that sort of piques our emotions for a moment or two. And we have, and again, I'm not saying you can't have an enjoyable life, but we just have to realize that we cannot afford to not endure what we're encountering. Our future rewards far outweigh the temporal stimulation or fame we might have today. So that we finish the principles here. The principles of our daily spiritual battle 
We're not required to win the victory, but simply remain steadfast in the work of the Lord. You know, we're not required to win the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So we are not required to win a victory. And day in and day out, we may not. Except in our spiritual lives. But simply remain steadfast in the work of the Lord. Those who oppose divine institutions and biblical principles do not control human history. These are divine institutions. Human volition. Government can't replace individual human responsibilities. You can yield them, but you're going down. Marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. That is a divine institution. Going any other route is sure destruction. The family. What we see today in the destruction of the family in the United States is unbelievable. And frankly, it's an all-out attack, really, on the black family. Liberalism has all but destroyed the black family. The black family had a closer unity before we started the war on poverty. And it's just about destroyed it. And it, it really bothers me when I think of the percentage of abortions that are committed in the black culture because they have been told and believed that it's right. And it's not. America's society is really almost at war with the black culture and it's sad that we don't understand it. A wonderful culture. Jesus Christ controls history and his sovereign plan is what we observe unfolding each day. It's unfolding each day. We need to simply endure, remain faithful. Whatever we observe on a daily basis has a divine purpose. It has a divine purpose. Whatever we observe on a daily basis, it has a divine purpose. So that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we simply need to remain faithful and realize we are part of his plan and don't become part of Satan's. So this is where we are, I think, on Memorial Day in 2015, is that we are seeing a lot of, uh, of action, decisions that really frustrate us irritate us and we believe are destroying our nation well we have two more years of this it's not going to get any better before it gets worse unless God acts unless God changes this and so we need to remain steadfast as a matter of fact we might even want to redouble our efforts in our spiritual lives but Jesus Christ controls history and if this nation is to survive there will be a pivot. There will be an element of those who are having an impact and the nation will survive. And it's like Israel heading for the promised land. There's a lot of tests along the way, but those who get to the promised land are going to enjoy the benefits of the promised land. 
So, sort of my parting word here is for Memorial Day. How you celebrate Memorial Day is an indication of your respect for the lives of those who made your Memorial Day possible. And I think that's true. And again, this doesn't mean you just you can't do the things that you normally might do. Go to a concert. Do this, do that, whatever it might be. Play ball. But somewhere in there, we have to remember why we have the freedom to do what we're doing. And it's because those who have given their lives. One last verse that comes really out of, was made famous during the Civil War, is the bivouac of the dead. The muffled drums said soul has beat, the soldier's last tattoo. No more on life's parade shall meet that brave and fallen few. On flame's eternal camping ground, their silent tents are spread, and glory guards with solemn round the bivouac of the dead. Memorial Day in America. Let's remember those who gave this freedom to us. Let's not forget. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your marvelous truths. We're thankful for the fact that you are faithful. And Father, you will take care of us. You are our refuge. You are our security. More than that, you are our future. We have a future. We have an eternal future because we have an eternal Savior, one who has paid the price for us on the cross so that we might simply believe and receive the imputation of his righteousness and also receive eternal life. Yes, we'll face some hardships, but Father, we're thankful that we simply, that you've given us the assets to endure, and on a daily basis we must. We ask, Father, for your blessing upon this nation. You really have already blessed us, but we pray for our endurance, and we pray that that blessing might be once more seen by those of us who know what that blessing is. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.